Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorne Grove. My name is Amy Blackthorne, and today we have a special guest. It's our very first birthday, and as such, we are going to have our very first returning guest. I would like to introduce you to the fabulous and amazing and incredible Mortalis, uh, the author of Do I Have to Wear Black? Uh, funeral rites and, and really incredible ideas about where we are and where we could be uh, when we talk about the way that we handle our dead. And so I thought we'd have a great returning visit. We have an episode to talk about all the really fantastic things that come from necromancy. It's a it's a topic that a lot of people sort of have squidgy feelings about and it's important to me to demystify some of the practices and, and talk about some of the materia that are present both in uh, traditional necromancy and in the practices of Mortellus themselves. It's um, going to be a great episode and I hope you stay tuned. Thank you Mortellus so much for joining us. I'm so happy to have you back. <laughs> I appreciate you having me. I'm excited. I it is a wild overestimation to call me a special guest. <laughs> I feel very ordinary and silly about doing these sorts of things. I'm always confused and curious as to why anyone wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> well, it's it's nice turnabout because I, I've been doing interviews for uh, Blackthorn's Botanical Brews and you sit and you wait for the fabulous questions and you're like, oh, I wish somebody had asked X. Well, it's my podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I, I, I love that idea. But I'm also the guest who's like, I have this thing living in the back of my head and I'm going to wedge it in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I prepare little nuggets to throw in. It's like going to Thanksgiving dinner and knowing you're going to try and goad your uncle into telling that one story like you're prepared. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Oh my gosh. It's been so crazy lately too. Like the, the whole idea of like what's weirder than being an author, right? That's the weirdest, weirdest stuff at all for anyone to be. I just can I go back to live journal and, and my flannel shirts? That feels much yes! more appropriate for what for what <laughs> I'm doing. Um yeah, like how how messed up is our anxiety that we're burying our lives in something this busy and awful? Like what, what is wrong with us? <laughs> it's funny. Just hide in there. No one knows who I am. I'm just writing for the void. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, I I wish social media was more like what Live Journal was. It that's super dorky, I know, but I loved the idea of just writing words for yourself that other people could interact with. Sort, sort of like Twitter, but long form and no one could talk to you and that's way better. Or was, you could very specifically limit the audience, which right. God, I wish Twitter had the ability. Oh man, there were so many lab journals I used to follow and just read along with and, and there's something just so wonderful about having that little window into people's lives. It felt a lot more personal than some of the things we have available now. It felt almost like being sort of a voyeur. Yes. There's this 
it, you're I'm about to convince you I'm a total weirdo but there's this, <laughs> there's this subreddit that I love and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head but all it is is live feeds to security cameras and they're, it's not like you're creeping on something private they're all just like really public live feeds of like a common room at a college or whatever and there's something so fun about just watching people go about their lives I just I love it it's just there's charm to it now you know why people go into security because a good portion of it is people watching. I, I bet your listeners don't know this, but uh, I did a lot of I did private investigations for a long time, and uh, it's been a hobby of mine for years, years and years. So yes, people watching is fun. It's the funniest thing. So we had uh, the my last contract before I quit to be a famous author <coughs> was. Uh, executive security for uh, the the most the most expensive real estate in the state of Delaware the there was some law firms some financial some insurance some um, very notable magazines uh, and it's funny because Delaware is the incorporation capital for the country the what is it 38 percent of uh, fortune 500 companies are all established in Delaware because of their corporate tax structure so everybody's got incorporated Delaware. Um, so we'd have the security in the basement with watching all the news feeds, watching all the, the different parts of the building. We'd have me as head of security out in the lobby watching everyone come through. <laughs> it's people watching at its best. I always wanted to do stuff like that. And I don't know, life took me strange places. When I first ran away from home, I was 17, and the first thing I did was go directly to a military recruiting office. I wanted to join the military and go see the world, and it, it seemed like a great way to get away from the hard situation I was running from. And uh, after going through all the processes, they they rejected me for military service. <laughs> um, that was how I found out that I have a shocking number of uh, accessory bones. I have extra bones in my spine. I have extra ribs. I have uh, all the sesamoids and apparently it makes you more prone to back injuries and things like that. So oh. they will not take you for service if you have extra uh, spinal bones. That I did not know. Neither, I, uh, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my coven sisters has uh, many extra bones, but most of them are interfooties. Neat. So yeah. she has a lot of she has sesamoid bones, all the yes. extra. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're very they're fun. Everybody we get this idea that there's like the specific no 200 and whatever bones. And I, I always I don't even remember the number because it's so wrong and unnecessary, but anyone under the age of 20 has more bones than that. Babies have a million shit tons of bones, right? <laughs> don't have kneecaps. Shocker. Um your kneecaps are a sesamoid bone that forms in the in the tendons as you as you grow so uh, babies don't have them wow that's oh yeah you know, i love playing with the little baby knees but i didn't realize there's no cap in there that's why it's so dangerous to pick small children up by their arms or by their legs which people do all the time but you can cause permanent damage to their knees and elbows and shoulders because they don't have the same support that we do Oh my goodness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you get older and you, your, your skull fuses together so you have less bones, but then you wind up being a weirdo like myself who has <laughs> all these spare parts. Awesome spare parts. Right. 
Uh, some people have carpal bones, some don't. You can have as many as eight, as few as zero. So there's, there's all kinds of variants. People are so unique. I have an extra ligament or two. I don't know about bones. <laughs> That's a fun thing to find out. I learned accidentally that I have three kidneys. <laughs> only like a hundred or something people on record who have that anomaly, a full fully functioning spare kidney. And I, I look forward to an opportunity to donate to someone actually, I just haven't turned up a match for anyone yet. But um, usually when people have accessory kidneys, they're like conjoined or, or undersized, but I have a fully functioning third with a fully functioning ureter. So That's so neat. I know. <laughs> I, I wound up in the ER. I had endometriosis and I was having terrible pain and they wound up doing a CAT scan and they were like, oh, by the way. <laughs> if you didn't know already, you were I, awesome. And I didn't. I had no idea. So I, listeners, you do not know what you have lurking around in your insides. That's it's a mystery. It is neat because you think the one thing that you would possibly know would be your own body. And we really don't. I know. I, uh, I, I, in, when I was in school, I was participating in a dissection of an older woman who she died at very advanced age. Um, and she, she died of sepsis. She got an infection and died of sepsis. And she donated her body to science. So that's, we, we had her as students to, to use for our gross anatomy labs. And that was super fun. Um, it's great when you when you have a, a body like that that you work with a lot over several weeks because they become friends. You're calling their name out. You're talking to them. It's like, oh, hey, you. What's up? <laughs> but uh, for someone who died it that old of a random infection, she had so much crazy stuff that could have killed her just <laughs> in there. <laughs> well, we dissected out her gallbladder. There was a gallstone that was like, it was like the size of an egg. It was huge and blocking her, her bile duct. And how did she live with that for decades? That's horrid. And she had, her lungs were so damaged from smoking over the years that when you picked them up in your hand, it sounded like crinkling a wad of like tissue paper, like wrapping paper. Oh, wow. It, human beings are like weirdly resilient while also being Terribly fragile. Terribly fragile. Yeah. <laughs> I give that speech all the time. Like, fill out your documents, people. You're going to trip into your house to death. But but this person will outlive you. That's what happens. I always joke that mean people live forever. They just, like, pickle themselves with meanness. <laughs> maybe, maybe she was, like, really grouchy. <laughs> I, have, I have direct relatives who are a testament to this fact. Hmm. <laughs> like pick the meanest person in your family they will live to be 140 to just to screw you like you have to do some, you have to survive them you're just pickled with it <laughs> so what is the materia that you think people have the most issue with like their own personal oh my god oh gosh that's a tough one uh, it is in general, like overall magical yeah, practices or, sure. I don't know. I think no matter what, the answer comes back around the necromancy. It really squigs people out and it shouldn't, it really shouldn't. It should be the most basic common part of everyone's practice. I mean, you practice necromancy already and you just don't think about it. If When you light candles next to 
great grandma's photograph you're practicing necromancy when you speak out loud to a deceased loved one like oh grandma i wish you could see this that's you're doing it already it's mm-hmm. a part of your life every day but we don't think about it like that and you imagine a necromancer is like some middle-aged white catholic dude in a cemetery with a corpse like running backwards for five thousand steps or whatever just crazy stuff in a terrible robe that is absolutely not osha compliant so obviously your listeners can't see this but i keep printed out over my desk this page from um the grand grimoire the dragon rouge which is a 15th century grimoire and it has some necromantic rituals in it and they are crazy <laughs> crazy like capital c tm like the cartoony kind of crazy and i love it because it's nuts and i really would like to do it but uh for example this one asks that you uh bow down with a frank and severe voice when you when you summon the dead but you have to go out into the cemetery you have to dig up a corpse you have to uh let's see pull out uh, the femurs of the deceased person you have dug up and hold them up in a cross shape, say a bunch of words, and you have to throw them at the first church you see while going on a walk. (laughs) Just randomly hurling bones? Yes. It says uh, you then have to set out in a western direction and take 5,900 steps and then lay yourself down to sleep on the ground. And uh, you have to say a bunch of stuff in a silly voice. And then uh, you have to, on Christmas, at midnight mass, at midnight precisely, uh, like sprint into a church and take those same bones and just like throw them in. (laughs) (laughs) No take backs. You have to run out backwards for 5,900 steps and then you can do your ritual and summon. But like, at what point do you get arrested? (laughs) The people. It's a very least assault. Every year without fail on Christmas Eve, my spouse will say to me, this could be your moment. It's your day. It's time. <laughs> Can you imagine the madness of just like you're slobbing leg bones into the <laughs> church in the middle of Christmas service and it's running away backwards? <laughs> oh, now I know what I'm living for. That moment, somebody Love invites it. me to a mass. You're ready. You're ready for it. But I can explain what happened. But it's this kind of junk that makes necromancy seem crazy, right? Like we imagine necromancers are out there taking off corpses and doing all this weird stuff. And that's not reality at all. So I would say that the most squiggy materia that people have to work with is probably blood or human remains. Common though they may are and available in your own body though they may be. They freak people out. Yeah, I mean, we have it. We need it to live. I was very upset last week. I attempted to donate and had someone who did not believe how awful my veins were. And so we got to waste half a bag of my blood. Oh, I was, no. I, was, was, I didn't even care that my arm is bruised like a cantaloupe. I care that they wasted my blood. <laughs> like, that was supposed to go to a person. I would have taken it home with me. You can do that, you know. That's mine. I will leave with it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, please. Like, go, go give it to the gods rather than you put it in the trash. Next time. I, uh, I had someone say something to me recently about um, 
working with human remains. They commented on a picture I have on Instagram of a human skull, which is a, it's a medical specimen. It doesn't belong to me actually, it belongs to uh, my mortuary sciences professor. But, uh, oh, I could never have a human skull, they said. I was like, well, you've got one right now. I do not. Yeah, it's in your face. <laughs> you lick your skeleton every day. Every single day, it's right there. I don't get it. I don't get being so strange about something that is so fundamentally part of you and your life. Just, just the idea that it's, it, what's the, where's the borderline between not spooky and spooky, right? It, your grandma, you love her and you're close your whole life. And then she's on the, the hospital bed and she dies. How many minutes pass before that's scary? Right. That's a good threshold. You got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. You have <laughs> skeleton, scary. Ghost, scary. Put them together. You have people. Like, well, people right. are definitely scary. I don't know. I'm always confused by movies where someone dies and it's like, it's someone's loved one and they die and it, it's like instantly terrifying. Like they're dangerous and scary and whatever. It's like, what is the fucking difference <laughs> between this and this? I... I don't know. I think we, like you said, we need to demystify the idea of death and necromantic practice and working with the body and working with the dead. It, it, it can be so shockingly mundane and everyday. It's not all about personal gain and hexes and heart. Someone asked me recently how to use coffin nails. They, they bought some from my website. Um, you know, they called it a weapon, like use it for cursing and this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, we'd drive it in your door jam at home and protect your house. What? Yeah, you use coffin nails for protection. Drive it in the door jam at your house, in your front door. Ask the ancestors to protect that space. Reward the threshold. Easy peasy. What? <laughs> I thought they were for cursing. Could be. Carry it around. Carry it in your pocket for luck. I don't, I don't, you know, it's good for lots of stuff. There's so many really incredible things that we can use magical materia for. I don't understand this. I have to, I have to pigeonhole something into be one thing. Right. I mean, you look at, I, writing Blackthorn Botanical Magic, pulling out any... Uh, let's see, I opened right up to chamomile. And there's a trillion uses for chamomile. Okay. What's, but it's sleep, what's the right? difference? But it's for sleep only. <laughs> only, ever. <laughs> only for sleep, ever. Oh man, bouquets of chamomile. I, I love them. I love just like <laughs> scattering them around, just seeds in the yard so they grow like weeds. So that I can then pretend like I don't have to mow the grass. <laughs> those are those are herbs. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I have, protected. I have regional biodiversity. I'm not a grass farmer. I don't have to mow, have to mow the grass. <laughs> I don't have any. But uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, we were, you and I were talking about uh, graveyard dirt recently. Everybody wants to use graveyard dirt as like hexing and cursing and controls and power. One of my favorite things to use graveyard dirt for is to like toss it at a child's back as they're leaving to get on the bus or go to school and ask the ancestors to guard them all day. It's such a great, simple little protective spell to just. 
And they spend so much of the day outside, of, or at least without the pandemic, so much time outside of our control. There's got to be so many ways to protect someone so precious to you. And think about, and I'm always annoyed when today on Blackthorn Grove, it's pet peeves with my dogs. It's... <laughs> I hate this idea that you could only ghost hunt at like 2 a.m. on a Thursday in a cemetery or whatever. Most spirits you're going to encounter are going to be tagging around with other living people in broad daylight. You're going to find more spirits walking around in the cereal aisle at Walmart <laughs> than you will in a funeral home by a mile. Your children are out in the world in these public spaces, which is a free invitation to spirits with tons of other children, tons of other adults in situations you can't control with all kinds of spirit influence and all kinds of human influence. So why would you not take a second to offer them that bit of protection throughout the day and give your own ancestors the opportunity to guard and guide them? Yeah, they have, it's in their best interest that your line continue, that your people are protected because that's who's giving them right. acknowledgement and reverence anything right I, I also found some use in when my when my oldest child got high school age teenagers are not the wisest people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> i then started asking for ancestors that i knew were 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 wise and balanced to stay with her throughout the day and she can guard and protect herself now but maybe she could use a voice of wisdom who couldn't right right who couldn't <laughs> it's so simple we just there's that thing because it comes from the the realm of the dead that it must be terrible and off no 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 it's it's dirt it is there it's comprised of organic matter it has been graced by death everywhere i mean the only place i can think of is uh, so there's uh, a set of limestone caves in the Appalachian Mountains where there are no bones because the caves are older than bones. I've been there. Oh. It's, it's like fresh air for someone with mediumistic abilities. You can breathe there. It feels great. The idea that this dirt on this side of a man-made fence is magical and this dirt on the other side of a man-made fence is not is ridiculous it's all the way you're you're working with it and the things that you're intending to do with it and the where in the spirit of the which you are working uh, something I, I i i think is often more magical than than graveyard dirt and easier to attain don't forget people that gathering materials from a cemetery can be safe and good fun and, and totally okay and appropriate, but many areas designate cemeteries as no trespassing areas, especially after dark. So you could get arrested for being in those spaces after hours. So you have to be very careful and aware of your local legislation. Um, but sort of the counterpoint to that is that if you have a loved one buried there and you're, you're uh, some sort of immediate kin that plot specifically is property of your family. So that is somewhere you can be. So remember that when you're working in cemeteries, but I like to work with plants from the cemetery. 
thinking about just the idea that something grew there, it's pulling up things through its roots. Um, it's gonna be imbued with that liminal energy. I, I love I love working with the Cemetery Archive Project and just like seeking out old forgotten spaces. There are so many in the South near where I live, just these tiny little Civil War cemeteries just sprinkled around in the woods. So I go seek them out and clean them up and, and plant wildflowers and herbs. Uh, all the herbs that I use for my incenses on my website, I grow in old cemetery spaces like that. So it's a fun way to beautify and also draw that necromantic energy into your work. So how do you define necromancy? Not not popular culture and not those people, not, you know, they's and them's, it, how, you personally. Me personally, any magic that uses the energy of death. So I'm a Wiccan, right? I'm a Gardnerian Wiccan. That's not very popular to say, but I am, and I will not apologize for it, people. Not everyone is an asshole. <laughs> I am an asshole. No. Haha. Uh, <laughs> no. I, I know it's it's really sort of popular to draw back from the idea of being Wiccan right now, but you know, let's let's reclaim the good there is to be had. But um, we get this idea that's wrapped up in the idea of like the Lord and Lady or whatever. I'm not about that, really. Um, as a non-binary person, that doesn't work for me in the first place. I prefer to stick with the gods as a polarity of life and death. If we look at it like that, it's easy to see how over time Wicca came to be more about life and less about the balance, right? I look at necromantic practice as simply being the other side of that coin. It's just flipping that energy around. And it's not about doing the reverse of that. And it's not about perverting it. It's not about changing it into something else. It's simply about the counterweight. We must have death to work with life. We must have life to work with death. So anything that is inclined toward that energy, working with the horn god classically, uh, the underworld, the underworld, those chthonic deities, to me, that's necromantic. Perfect. That's it. That beautifully said thank you you're welcome i don't i think that we spend so much time trying to define my by ourselves as a community by what we are not that people don't spend enough time trying to figure out where they are oh we're not satanists okay well that's fine that's not what you do but what do you do fill, fill in the, that positive fill in that void with something we've got to figure out where you're going now where you've been and not where you don't plan on going. That othering that makes so many people feel that they're valid is really upsetting to those who do practice things that are less popular. Okay, look at the tenets of Satanism. There's not a bad one of the bunch. Absolutely not. And I'll throw out an unpopular idea for you. Awesome. I'm excited for all your listeners to send me hate mail tomorrow. I'm ready to <laughs> send it, write it up. I want to hear it. I think that we're doing Wicca wrong in general. I think that um, the fact that we talk about life, death, 
and reincarnation. We talk about that regenerative cycle. We talk about that cauldron of rebirth. But are we really working with death? Are we actually working with the horn god at all? Or have we reduced him to a boner? That a lot of a lot of groups have reduced him to a boner. You get people talking about the the cycle of life, death, and rebirth until life is 78% of that circle. Death is 1% and then look, this magical rebirth is happening. Death is still important. You can't erase death from your mind and still have a healthy practice. We still have to understand that at some point we will cease to be. For me, I define my magical practice with a coin, quarter. Take a quarter, flick it on the table so it spins around on its head. Do you ever do that game as a kid? (laughs) One side of that coin is life one side of that coin is death and they should be equal and that point that it's spinning on that's rebirth that's reincarnation and it's a very small pivot it's a moment between those two things and we really need to address as a community how we have distorted that balance because i think leaning too far in either direction is bad for us if we lean too far toward life, we lean too far toward death, then we erase people in our community. We put too much emphasis on the priestess over the priest, or we put too much emphasis on one deity over the other. And what happens when you spend too much time putting one thing in a box and telling it what it ought to be? That's how we come to be broken as a community. That's how we wind up with things like CX Wicca. (laughs) <laughs> Raymond Buckland people he did not enjoy being put in a box and that's how we got CX Wicca no no shame to anyone who practices it but he felt that he was not honored for what he brought to the table as the representative of that deity of death of the underworld what did he have to offer in a situation that so deeply revered life I taught with an instructor who was from 17, he was a, you know, practiced 1734 uh, tradition. That was, that was their initiation. One of her favorite things to tell people is that the God is not a backup dancer. And I will holler that from the mountaintops because it's gotten to the point where there's so little focus on balance that we've, you know, again, reduced the God to a boner. What is what is that line from uh, Joe Gardner's Witchcraft Today? And he talks about the the myth of the goddess's descent into the underworld. Everybody forgets where she goes and where he lives. <laughs> we get so goddamn focused on the fact that she's there to get secrets and whatever, and this, that, and the other thing. And oh, cool, awesome, very important part of the story, but. <laughs> Could we pause for a moment to remember that he lives in the fucking underworld? This is not a PG episode. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. (laughs) But seriously, we we just we erase that entirely. No one is teaching it, focusing on it, thinking about it. And I think perhaps, maybe, just maybe, if we did, and if we balanced out that polarity of life and death and looked at them like that as what they are not god and goddess and man and woman and penises and vaginas or whatever because that's all gross nobody wants that it's terrible for people really 
But if we looked at what it is, those two sides of a quarter, and really balance that out, I think that we might all be taking something better away from these traditions. Absolutely. Tell me about your really incredible, uh, I found the last time I was perusing, you have grave salt on your website. Please, 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 because salt of all flavors and forms, it brings me joy and happiness. And I would love to hear about your grave salt. So I, um, I made that up. That's what, that's what That's what magic is. Make it up. <laughs> I made it up. Um, I always carry a variety of salts, particularly ones that I enjoy. I almost always have um, Hawaiian black salts, uh, the kiln-fired variety. I usually have a red alien salt. Go Hawaii for having two of my favorite salts. Um, and usually a Celtic gray. I carry them in my embalming kit always. Always, always, always. Um, and I use them for cleansing the dead. Um, normally behind the scenes, especially in a lab setting or a classroom setting. We're just doing the work and going on with their day. But a lot of times uh, donor bodies in these settings will be indigents, unclaimed, unidentified individuals. They're not getting any ritual. There's no services for them aside from what we give them in that space. So I always carry uh, ritual tools in my kit and will uh, bless and consecrate some salt and water and use that to wash the dead before I prepare them. Uh, because I think that's something small that I can give. I, I try and do it in a, a non-religious way. It's, it's, it's just an, an act of, of grace, something for that person whose name I might not even know. Um, so I always have these huge tubs of salt that I'm carrying around with me. And uh, I got to the point where I was putting them in my altar bowl for ritual. And they're in the prep room all the time. They're touching the dead. And it, it just came to be part of my practice. Eventually that grew until I was adding in um, cremation dust or other items that I might have on hand or um, herbs that were important to me. Um, there's usually some charcoal burned up from some yew in there, uh, some laurel, other similar items. Um, and every time it just became a substance. And it, it was something that I felt was, was magical and important and I, I needed to use it in my practice more. And I decided that I would put it out there for others if they thought it was something they could use too. So here we are. I, I know you've, You've received some. Have you have you found useful usefulness oh, yes. in your practice? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a very intuitive ingredient uh, in a lot of ways. How would you? What advice would you give someone who wanted to use it from the the beautiful place of your heart? Where <laughs> you know me, I, I I really don't like when people look at necromantic practice as being just dark and evil and spooky and all about cursing or hexing or personal gain and that's gross um i always try and look for the good that i can find in in the work that i'm doing so i like to use um, corpse water and uh, cremation salt grave salt in um, a, a consecration we usually consecrate with fresh salt and water and we're cleansing right this isn't the opposite of that exactly rather than 
you're not profaning someone, but you're moving them into a liminal space. You're giving them the qualities of the dead. And I like to use that for a few things. I would use a consecration like that if I was trying to remove um, a curse or a hex, particularly something stubborn, something generational. Um, most things have uh, a timestamp of till death. You can't, you can't <laughs> keep on cursing somebody after they're dead, right? So if I give them the qualities of death, then that curse drops away. And then I can give them the qualities of life by re-consecrating them with fresh salt and water. That's also very effective if you have someone who's going through a divorce situation. Divorce is very straightforward for mundane people, not so much for magical people. Have you ever participated in divorce for a pair of witches? Oh, no, no, I haven't. <laughs> that's complicated because they often make oaths and bonds to one another that are very different than mundane people. <laughs> um, so dropping those oaths away and breaking those ties and cutting those cords, as we say, that can be very complicated and messy. It's very simple if you're using grave salt and corpse water because till death they have ceased to be living for a moment. Everything drops away. You are magically divorced. Reconsecrate. You're a fresh new person, ready to go on and live, live your love life. Fantastic. Very simple. I also like using it for doing path working in the underworld. Consecrate with those items makes it easier to move into that space uh, for people who are interested in communicating with the dead or attempting to contact a particular dead, but they don't have a natural talent for it. That can ease you into that space. It's like having a cocktail before a party makes, makes it a little easier <laughs> to talk to people, maybe. But uh, yeah, it works very well for them. So those are some ways that I like to use them. Fantastic. I've gotten my share of experience with the non-corporeal. <laughs> it's, it's lovely to talk with someone who really understands how those spaces can affect you and how they move you. Uh, I was on the board of directors for a uh, paranormal investigation group here in Delaware for a number of years. And they were shocked when I suggested an exercise. They, they were very, very into um, electronic voice phenomena. They wanted to record the spirits. I'm like, okay, this is oh, midnight with a candle and, a, and a, whatever the little electronic scanner is. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just take a a voice recorder with you around your daily life. What, like during the day? Yes, because they, they, they're not just waiting for the lights to go out, they're around you all the time. Mm -hmm. And once people started really engaging with this, that the quality of the, the voice phenomena actually increased during the day. You could hear very clearly some of the things that were being said and they're like, okay, what? well, why? Do you think that they're, they're not nocturnal? They're just, they don't know what time it is. They don't have a watch right. in Ghostville. They're, they're simply about. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, uh, a tragic accident. I live right near I-95, so from Florida to Maine. That's how people get from point A to point B. So there's, when there are accidents, they're usually pretty significant. And I was stuck in traffic it was probably around Christmas uh, because it's real close to the area mall. 
And I could see as I was driving down the highway, a blonde woman who was standing in the middle of the, uh, the, the middle of the highway with her hands out and, and she just, she was lost. But it's the middle of the highway, so it's not as though I can stop and explain to her, I'm sorry that you have crossed, I'm sorry that you died, but let's, let's figure out how to get you where you're supposed to be. Because everyone's going 90 miles an hour. <laughs> it's funny, one of the ghost hitchhikers were one of my favorite sort of spirits to encounter because they're, they're so unusual as far as other, other spirits you might encounter go. Um, but I had an experience with one a few months back. I was driving out to um, help out at labs and um, I had to take a detour. That's always how it goes, right? You're, you're on a road you did not expect this. <laughs> so I cut down this, this detour road and it's, it's the middle of the day. It's like two in the afternoon. It's, it's bright and sunny and beautiful. And uh, I glance in the rear view and there she is in the back seat, just sitting quietly. And uh, I spoke to her. You want to ride? That's fine. You know, you're welcome to hang out. And she stayed with me until I reached the end of that detour. Then she was gone. She just had to get somewhere. Right. They, uh, I think they're very interesting figures. Very stuck in their loop, you know? Oh, yes. Yes. I had, I had one person who jumped into my backseat. It was someone I knew before they died. Um, and it was probably a year and a half or two years after they died. I was on my way home from Baltimore. I was, I was commuting back and forth to Baltimore at that point. So it was an hour or so each way. And I, and I felt something. I look in the rearview mirror and there he is sitting right behind me saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I was I was not happy. It was like you you bet you're sorry. Fish shaking. And uh, they had they had completed suicide. And I wasn't ready to deal with it. But having them show up and and say like, okay, I was in a I was in a bad place. Can you let so and so know that I'm okay? Like, uh, yeah, I can do that. That's, that's totally what I'm here for. But it's always the oddest feeling to, to see someone that you used to know. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of experiences like that. Mostly, that's true and false. I've encountered spirits that were people I knew in my life, but from other people's lives. Gotcha. Friend, friends, parents, and so on and so forth. But. Um, as far as individuals from my own life and family, there has not been a lot of that. I think mostly because I, I'm so very disliked by my, my mm -hmm. family. I, that's, that's, the, um, that's the difficult part of uh, turning your back on a, on a cult environment. For those listening who do not know, I, I grew up in a fundamentalist cult. Um, and often when people leave those groups, the community is asked to shun that person uh, entirely. So there are many, many people from my life growing up who they would turn and go the other way if they saw me on the street, just because that's how that community teaches them to behave. So I feel that 
I probably have not encountered a lot of individuals that I may have known as a child simply because they are still behaving in that way. That's, I'm sure how that can be a difficult thing to deal with. It, it, I don't talk about it a lot, but it's, um, it's very strange feeling like an orphan, feeling yes. like you, like you really don't have anyone, but there's this disconnect between the feeling and the reality of knowing they live two houses down. So it's, it's very sort of, I don't know, unmooring. We have, we have privately discussed similar things. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Uh, yeah. It can, if, for those of you who are listening, those boundaries are important, but absolutely no one said that they were easy. And so I absolutely am here for you. And I trust me, I understand how difficult that can be. Uh, you, you think about the things that we gain from our, our loved ones and the things that they can sometimes take from us. And it's, it's a very heavy balance. So I think that's one reason why I am, um, I'm very interested in a particular um, area of necromantic work that, uh, well, maybe unexpected to your listeners, but uh, I do I do what I jokingly call uh, social justice necromancy. I love it already. <laughs> um, I work a lot with binding the dead, particularly individuals who were abusive parents, rapists, murderers, the like, um, who I feel might be inclined in death to continue harassing or disturbing their victims. So I've created binding spells and wards that essentially um, trap them in their grave space with no opportunity to reincarnate, move, leave, etc. for until the death of their victims, the natural death of their <laughs> victims, or until they have reached a place of enlightenment and understanding of the weight of the harm that they caused. I appreciate you. I think um, I think we don't we don't take time to consider how death magic can be important. There are people in the world that I've done that work for that they don't know and I would never tell them and they don't need to know. They just need to know that that person is gone from their life and that they can breathe. And for some of those people that breath will be the first that they've had in a while. We have so much opportunity as magical practitioners to make a difference in the world. And I know that's not everyone's position. I've, I've told people before that I don't, I don't do magic for myself ever, literally ever. Um, I made an oath to a deity that I would not. The Morgan gave me my life back when I died. And one of the promises that I made to her was that I would never do magic 
with personal intent. I only do magic in service to others. And I, I, I've been derided for that. I've, I've had people uh, sort of laugh at it and say that, that magic should be for bettering your own life. And um, I prefer to look at what I can do to make the world better. And I prefer to look at what I can do to make just one person's life a little easier. And I think you do that more often than you might know. I would hope so. If I, you know, I don't care about being popular or successful or any of that bullshit. I really, really don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. If I get up tomorrow and no one wants to hear it, I have to say anymore. That's, that's just fine. But if a single copy of the book I wrote makes a difference in one person's life, if something I said changes someone's situation for the better, or gives them peace or comfort, or if something that I've done has given someone strength or improved their situation, then I have fulfilled my service as a witch, as a practitioner, as a medium, as a human fucking being. And, and I can go on and be at peace and sit in my house and like drink Coca-Cola and eat Cheerios. Like <laughs> that's enough, it's enough. I don't need gain from anything. The Morgan scraped me up off the floor when I was five and gave me breath to fill my lungs and gave my heart beats that it didn't have. My life was all the magic that, that I needed. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Words, I'm filled with them. <laughs> <laughs> So how can everyone our... can everyone can hear us like sniffling and stuff. <laughs> like, we're so lame. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'm. Maybe this is the trauma kid in me. But man, if you grew up with so much gratitude for so much, like the littlest stuff is so important when you grow up hard and you know. And it's people think it's that it's oh well that's easy that's only x and and you have to explain to them there's no such thing as only when you have literally nothing y'all have no idea of what it's like to get up every day every day of your life and pause as soon as your eyes open to make sure the room is real and that the people you love are still in it and that there's food in your fridge and your house is warm and you're clean and you have clothes that fit and your children are happy and they've never known fear every day every day you're grateful for that absolutely there's nothing in this world nothing at all that scares me or bothers me man i get hate mail on the internet so like i'm gonna curse you and this there's always some nerd on the internet right it's like go <laughs> for it dude go for it drop like it's fine. Whatever it brings cannot possibly be worse than what I have had in my life. And like, if it makes you feel better, go for it. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> go for it. Knock yourself out, champ. Right. Go. Yeah. Have fun. It's cool. It's totally cool. <laughs> yeah. Get up, get up and live in gratitude, people. When you wake up tomorrow, when you open your eyes for the first time tomorrow, pause to breathe and think about 
everything you have, even if it isn't much. I don't have much at all. If y'all could see me now, you would know that I'm in a tiny <laughs> house. My dinner is cold beside me on a paper plate. I've got like zero money because I mailed out like books today and shipping is horrible. Why is it horrible? <laughs> but just like, think about the fact that no matter how shit your life is, like you live better than Kings did for most of history. You have like a refrigerator. <laughs> your life is great. <laughs> Living gratitude. <laughs> Every time I can fill up my water pitcher with potable water, mm-hmm. I give thanks. Right. The I have not talked about this on the podcast, but Mortellus and I have talked about this privately. I grew up in a house with nothing, no food, no electricity, no telephone, no could not could not drink the water that came out of the tap because it was contaminated with gasoline. There are there are things there are always worse things. So a gratitude practice can really improve where you are. Absolutely. And I, it's, it's weird to get up in the morning and like make my cup of tea and sit in the quiet with it and just like have that peace in my life, remembering what it was like to just have all this chaos around me as a child. That's the thing about growing up in situations like that. It's just the constant anxiety. Everything's just keyed up always and you never have that peacefulness. And just the weird stuff, like we didn't have a functioning toilet. It had standing water in it that often had mosquito larvae. And that was just part of my life that was totally normal. And it's, I don't know, I can't, I cannot describe to your listeners what a strange sort of um, cognitive dissonance it is to just have ordinary things when you contrast it against growing up that way. Absolutely. The, the things that we learn to do and the things that we learn to cope with because we didn't know any different. Right. Is, it's a lot. Like this right now, what we're doing, like we're gonna feel like crap later. We're gonna be, why did we say that stuff? It's horrible, people are gonna, yeah, great. Everybody's worried about perceptions and being very away, right? Especially when you're, what the hell are authors supposed to be? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not it, whatever, whatever you're imagining. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is important too. Just being vulnerable and human and saying stuff that is real and isn't a shiny picture on Instagram. like being human and just you know I, I said to someone on Facebook yesterday jokingly that you know, they thank me for being real I, was like, I, don't, I don't think that should be an exception that should probably <laughs> be the baseline but uh, they suggested the idea that you know people act like if they they're human that it makes them weak and I was like oh very vulnerably and transparently kick somebody's ass but I can, <laughs> I can be I can be strong and also be fallible and human and that by the way people does not make you a bad practitioner either we are not prosperity doctrine you can you can do meaningful magic in your life and still have faults and still be ordinary there is nothing perfect. None of us are perfect. 
it's hard because they, people have this idea that if we are able to put out books, then we must be wealthy and super magical and live every minute of our life in some Glinda bubble that, that floats down from the sky. And that's just not reality. I've told this story before. I, <laughs> I, I had no intention of being here at all doing this. I, I love to teach. That's the thing. I, I love doing workshops, talking to people and sharing stuff. And uh, I was teaching a workshop at Mystic South two years ago and with no intention whatsoever, zero thought behind it, just sort of assaulted a well-known editor <laughs> like, it's like, I'm mad about stuff and someone should write about this. <laughs> That's, I have thoughts. And this was a, a whim, people. Anybody, anybody can stumble into doing things. You just have to do them. <laughs> and you have to keep doing them repeatedly right. more than right. one time. <laughs> I How many times have you heard a story about someone's success and they will tell you that it was some random occasion? Almost every time. 99.99999 infinity percent of anybody's success is taking a chance. Absolutely. Saying the thing. There's magic in that, you know? Just say the thing. I took a chance and now y'all have to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am thrilled to have gotten to chat with you here on the Blackthorn Grove. Where can people purchase a wonderful copy of how, Do I Have to Wear Black? Uh, well, before I go into all the like car salesman stuff that I hate, I would like to say that one of my favorite chances I've ever taken also happened at Mystic South that year. I'm so happy that I walked up and said hello to you and that we made friends. I, I'm delighted to have you be part of my life. And that's that's a special part of, of what my path has been as a witch is the people I've met along the way. It means so much that you were enjoyed my class enough to come up to me afterwards and say hey look you're awesome high five like come hang out sometime as a being a presenter at these at these events you never know if anybody's even listening i mean that was that particular class was standing room only and it was really exciting for me because it's the first time it happened but also it's like people were there but then they left and you never really know if that made an impact on a person so having someone come up to you afterwards and say yes that that was a thing high five meant a lot you know what made me talk to you that day and what yes please please I, I, because i'll do it again <laughs> people are gonna be like we don't care about this stuff they're turning this episode off right now it's all weird no i i saw you you were standing up on the ledge you were headed down to the raven and crone booth and i thought to myself that is a person who is not wearing a mask oh you looked like a real person living your existence who was not pretending to be anything and that was rare especially in the room we were standing in that was yes absolutely because you have to be on for so much especially when you're at a, a larger convention you feel like you have to be on every minute of the day and it's exhausting but also part part of that is as the safety of trying to be an author and do things and thank you for seeing that in me you looked like the kind of person who could use someone to say hello as a person to another person and it not be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the, when we get to those things and you're when you're those of you who are, are aspiring aspiring to write, 
we like the going to the events and doing the things, but there's a an, an air of, okay, I'm here for work. And so you're, you're putting on your best work face and occasionally there's schmoozy lunches so that people can pick your brain about things and you make lifelong friends, but sometimes you just need a minute. And, and having someone see you as a real person is worth its weight in diamonds. I, I know that feeling, but probably in a way dorkier way. Um, I, I know you know this about me, not a lot of folks listening probably do, but I do face painting <laughs> at uh, like festivals and carnivals and stuff. When I ran away from home, I joined a carnival. I did face painting for a traveling carnival for a decade actually. And weirdly, that's an environment where kids get to know your face and you are 100% of the time uh, performing, always. You're always on stage. And uh, yeah, just being seen as a person sometimes is really important. Somebody stepping behind the curtain with you and, and saying hello. Perfect. I love it. But you asked where to find books. Um, Anywhere fine books are sold. It comes out tomorrow, February 8th. I'm very excited. I worked very hard. I'm very proud. Um, I hope you'll suggest your local library picks up a copy of their own and um, your local hospice and hospital clergy and all those fine folks. Um, I, I really deeply feel like it's a book that, that belongs on everybody's shelf. Um, I have a few, very few, uh, signed copies available on my website at www.mortellus.com uh, along with some of my other fine goods like we talked about tonight and um, yeah uh, if nothing else I hope you'll pop me an email and say hello I'm, I'm always happy to to meet folks and talk to people so. thank you so very much for giving us of your time and your attention and I will talk to you very soon I'm sure Thank you so much for listening to the Blackthorn Grove and we will see you soon. Remember, we are all trees in the forest. Support each other. <laughs>